I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics from personal stories to hot button issues. We cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday. So make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Welcome to Frau Pow, where your hosts Odding Rags. Today, we're going to be talking to Mistress Grimm about sexual assault. There have been some allegations of sexual assault by derby players against other derby players. Obviously, this is an important topic, but these allegations clearly showed that this is an issue that impacts our community directly and the world as a whole. Grimm is what we call a non-skating official. She helps bouts run smoothly and make sure that everyone is following the rules. Outside of Derby, she is an EMT. Her skill set provides a wide view of sexual assault in the Derby world and beyond. Basically, she's a badass bitch. Yeah, she is. So we wanted to say for this episode where we interview Mr. Scrim, um, it is an episode about sexual assault. So this is an official trigger warning um, for anyone who may be sensitive about that topic. So, Grim, um, I think that a lot of people might not know what a non-skating official is, but basically it means that you're amazing and <laughs> you help keep um, our games organized, but also like our league organized. And I think that has a lot to do with your personality. I, I always say that being a non-skating official fits with my neuroses. Um, I can see that. <laughs> In that a good way. It, it's a lot of paperwork. Um, I think the way somebody once described, you know, referees versus non-skating officials is referees are the judges and the non-skating officials are the court clerks because we're the ones that, one. that we do all the paperwork. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we don't want the refs doing the paperwork as much as we love them and we couldn't have a game without them. Their neuroses are to know the rules and to skate. And you're our head NSO. I am. Which means that you're in charge of everyone. Yes. For better or for worse sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think that you should start off telling us a little bit about yourself. Okay. As a person or as a derby person or however you want to get started. Okay. 
So I am Mistress Grimm, and I have been in Derby since 2014. Um, I started with Jersey Derby Brigade, and I have been there head NSO for three, four, four seasons, and then came over to also be head NSO at NJRD, uh, New Jersey Roller Derby, last year, so during 2017. Um, Derby is my kind of escape from reality and I absolutely love it. Um, I, as uh, you mentioned, I'm an EMT and that's kind of where my Derby name comes from that, um, I have a habit of getting a lot of the less than favorable calls. So Please don't say DOAs. Um, <laughs> I was trying to keep it PC. So less than, uh, we'll call them less than favorable calls. Um, so that's where the grim came from. I also, in my other lives, um, I started off my neuroses as an NSO, come from being trained as a stage manager and lighting designer. And um, I also work for a nonprofit as an office manager. Um, and, you know, as for the consent and as an EMT, I've worked um, within consent culture and worked at kink events as, you know, security and EMS. I want to circle back around to mm-hmm. um, the kink events that you did. Sure. So how I want to hear more about kind of what that looks like for you as sure. someone who's EMS. Sure. Um, so when I first started doing that, I was what people would call vanilla, that mm-hmm. I really had knew nothing and was walking in like, you know, an average person off the street having no idea what I was walking into. I do also have something that I had to work with for myself is that I was assaulted when I was 14. So I have some PTSD from that. So there are some things that you see in the kink community that with that don't sit very well with me. Um, so as working EMS and public safety for a kink community, um, it is making sure basically that the rules are being followed. And just like how we say in Derby, rule number one is don't be a douche. Um, <laughs> it's the same thing at a kink event, you know, is that everything is negotiated beforehand. Is that negotiated as like the if it's like a group event, is that negotiated as a group or as a community or is that between individuals? It's um, between individuals that, you know, there are certain rules like um, so there was a specific area of the event, which was the dungeon, which was where the majority of the activity went on. So we had rules about what you could and couldn't do, you know, if things like if anything was being inserted it needed to be it needed to be wrapped you know that kind of stuff so we had those kind of community rules um but things were negotiated between partners um or if it was a group scene between that group um and it was the part one of our I guess partners as EMS would be the dungeon masters um, or DMs. So whenever I hear people talking about dungeon masters and dungeon and dragons, I'm thinking of a completely different type of DM, but working with them to make sure that people are playing safe because things that may look unsafe to most people really are safe. And, you know, it's between the two, in most cases, the two people involved knowing it's usually the what people would refer to as the dom or the top. Mm-hmm. It's up to them to know to have had that conversation with 
their sub or their bottom um, to know what that person likes, what that person doesn't like, how far is too far. Even things like, hey, we've been going at this for 45 minutes. We need to stop so you can have water, so you can rest. So a lot of that safety does fall on the person who is doing the, you know, beating or tying or fire play or whatever it may be. Um, so walking into it originally for me was a bit overwhelming. Um, I learned a lot and learning to identify, you know, what was okay and what wasn't. Um, unfortunately the company that I worked with did end up having issues of consent violations. And that was something that, um, when that all came to light, I had to really work through a lot myself because I went, I was part of the group of people who are supposed to be protecting people mm-hmm. and I failed somewhere along the line. But, you know, most of the people who were there did have a good experience. They had a good time. Um, you know, so some of it too is also within, you know, being sensitive to that community is things as simple as if somebody comes in and they're bleeding, just being able to, you know, see Am I talking directly to the person? Do they have somebody else who's getting involved? And sometimes having to say, listen, I know you're still in this dom sub mentality, but I really need to assess her. Mm-hmm. You know, so being able to take those EMT skills of interacting with a person or a family and then break that down into, you know, there's something going on right now. On a lighter note, my high, my crowning achievement was um, one time running a call for a panic attack while wearing a corset. <laughs> there wow. were a bunch of guys in the room, but I was the one down on the floor next to the person who was having a uh, an anxiety attack. And I didn't even think twice about it. And then afterwards, I turned around to all the guys and I'm like, by the way, I just did that in the corset. And I have no idea can- what that means. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, we needed to understand that we were there to protect people and to be able to pick up on is somebody coming to us who's coming from an unsafe situation. Mm-hmm. Is there something we have to step in on? The vast majority of the time it was the, I cut myself, do you have a Band-Aid? That's most of what we dealt with. But huge learning experience for me. So how did you deal with that um, learning curve of trying to, you know, deal with PTSD symptoms and then also kind of what can appear to what you're saying, like the vanilla eye that it's like kind of blurred between consent and sexual assault? A lot of it was asking questions um, that... I found as a whole that people were always, as long as you knew when to ask them, people were always willing to answer questions to explain. Um, So I learned a lot by asking and observing. Um, I learned that, you know, for me, I didn't spend time necessarily hanging out in the dungeon, but I also... As an EMT, you know, when you go into a call, you you get a certain amount of tunnel vision. Your adrenaline's going. So I would go in there if there was a call. But if I didn't have a reason to be there, I just didn't because I knew it was triggering. And I, the people who I worked with, it was a safe environment. So I could say, you know, um, at the time that I left, I was one of the supervisors. And my other supervisors knew this is what triggers me. We just need someone to go peek in, make sure everything looked good somebody else would handle it. So it's really just like everything else in consent culture. It's just about communication. Yeah. I, I, my experience with this type of culture Mm -hmm. and from what I've read 
is that like not only is it heavily on consent, but like communication and trust are the foundations. Like you cannot have some sort of kink like this without a good communication system, whether it's verbal or nonverbal and you need to have trust and you need to have systems in place. So like, you know, there's that safe word. So if you get to the point where you're not comfortable, absolutely, you know, you can tap out if you're bound, like you, you have things that you can do noises that you can make, or, you know, hand gestures that you can absolutely. make, you know, so there's different things that you, you are able to do. So I want to take like a couple steps back <laughs> um, because I know we, I think as a group kind of talk about this type of stuff and we assume that people understand what consent is. And I mean, we as like a community, a derby league tend to talk about these types of topics, but also Mm -hmm. just like, I think most of our friends, I tried to forget that I live in a bubble, but um, for (laughs) people outside of a bubble or who want to know more, what do you guys consider consent to be? I mean, I think consent is anything. It's even just the, hey, can I give you a hug? You know, Mm -hmm. it can be something that simple. It can be, you know, anything from, you know, can I give you a hug? Can I shake your hand to, hey, can I tie you up and fly you in the air? You know, and anything in between. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would also say that the responses to consent can anywhere be from like an affirmative head nod. Mm -hmm. Like right now I'm nodding my head and everybody's nodding their head in agreement and, you know, or just simply saying yes, anything, anything that implies an affirmative action. So. I think the state of California was the first state that was like, yes means yes. Mm-hmm. And anything outside of yes is not a yes. But in king culture, it can be slightly different. But this is something that you need to work out with your partner. Right. No means no. And anything that is implying no, mm-hmm. even if it's a nonverbal no, still means no. Well, what I really like is I heard once um, when I was doing sex ed with teenagers is that one of them said that it should be a fuck yes (laughs) and like anything else should be is a no so -hmm. even if you say yes you know if someone's not sure in any sort of measure or they're neat read it you know and a yes can become a no exactly and so it should always be that positively emphatic yes Mm -hmm. right I I read this thing. I'm sure both of you have read it. It's a tea analogy. Mm -hmm. You make somebody tea and they'll be like, hey, you want tea? So you make them tea and they can be drinking it and halfway through and they're like, I don't want this anymore. And you'll be like, "Okay, pour it down the drain. Or you can start making it and they'll be like, I don't want this anymore. And you'll be like, "Okay, I'll turn the kettle off. Like, and there's no need to force the issue. You just you want a tea. You changed your mind. And there's no reason to force the issue. And consent's very much the same way. I think another point that's really important to um, mention is playing sober. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that comes into play both on the EMTN and on the kink end that, you know, we talk about when you're playing, you should play safe, um, sa- play safe and sane or safe and sober. You know, so not you haven't been drinking, you haven't been, you know, taking any kind of medication that might mess with your judgment um, or taking, you know, any kind of illicit drug. Um, It's the same thing on the ambulance end that if I get called out for somebody and they go, no, I don't want treatment. Well, if they're drunk, I can't accept that. They, you know, they're not able to consent to treatment or not consent to treatment. Um, so yeah, that's a huge factor that, and in a lot of the things that have come out recently in the Derby community, alcohol has been a factor and it does create a lot of blurred lines and there are people on both sides of the issue of it. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I think for me, what really struck me with the Derby stuff is that, you know, I consider it a safe space Mm -hmm. um, and that it's a very, like, women-centered space um, because it was originally a women's sport, although it was started by men, but, you know. (laughs) Modern roller derby. (laughs) Modern roller derby. Yeah. You know, and not saying that all perpetrators are men by any means, but just, you know, having women surrounding you feels like Mm -hmm. a safe space where you have like a community that's empowering and supportive and your friends or sisters or whatever. And so I think it just kind of, even as someone who works in, uh, interpersonal violence and sexual violence, it still was like a shock to the system. Absolutely. Yeah. I think one of the things in Derby, well, two of the things in Derby is, because we're so women centric is sometimes we do have violence between women, whether it be friends, whether it be partners um, that sometimes isn't recognized because, well, men are always the bad guy. And no, they're not always the bad guy. You know, we have the this movement of, you know, believe women and me too. And now we're in this group where we're all, you know, let, let's go fight, you know, fight against the, uh, the machine and little things here are going to blow up. I think even more than mm-hmm. they do outside because we're such a microcosm of society. Yeah. Speaking of the me too movement, I work in research and I mm-hmm. do a lot of stuff around policy. And so I'm always like, what's like the next right. step. So my thought is that the next step is to to be teaching the next generation to do better. Um, that I think that part of why we're in the situation where we are is because people weren't taught to do better. You know, mm-hmm. when I was in college, they, yeah, there was all sorts of education about, you know, date rape and no means no. And, but it was still, a, you know, cat calling was okay or mm-hmm. saying to a girl, well, you know, she dressed like she wanted it. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes feel like we're going after all of these older men where their, by, their behavior was by no means acceptable. But at the same time, our culture told them until recently that this behavior was acceptable. Mm-hmm. So it's not an okay behavior, but it was a learned behavior. And create so to me, it's the next step is, you know, to teach the up and coming generation to do better and to interact better and to understand consent. And I mean, I honestly, as someone in the field, I can see those sort of gender norms and that are negative and that mm-hmm. demean women or girls all mm-hmm. the way in preschool. <clears throat> Absolutely. I mean, and even with consent, like how often do we ask for consent when we go up to a toddler and like give them a hug? Yeah. Um, and so I think it's really important to start talking to them while they're still at that young age and still forming their beliefs mm-hmm. around gender norms and what they think is acceptable and mm-hmm. how they think of their body. Mm-hmm. Um and how they think of people's space around them. I have, yeah. so my partner's cousin's kids are like three and five, three and six, somewhere around that age group. And they come up to me and they go, can I hold your hand? Can I give you a hug? That's awesome. Can I sit with you? And they ask, they ask if they can do this. And like, we both looked at the cousins like, wow, really? And the father's like, yeah, you know, 
I'm really trying to teach some personal space. It doesn't really have anything to do with the fact of like, this person's a woman and this person's a man. Mm -hmm. It's just the, this is my personal space. This is your personal space. If you want to come into my personal space, please ask. And a three-year-old understood this concept. That's awesome. And I think it's awesome that they're doing it in terms of just personal space and they're not making it a gender issue. Right. Right. Just teaching kids about, you know, in the 80s, we were all really afraid of like stranger danger Mm -hmm. and, you know, strange, like creepy pedophiles coming and like stealing children, Um, which did happen in rare cases. But, you know, it's not about teaching kids like scary unknown men coming up and touching you it's like this is your body and like you can give permission to people anywhere like whether it's hand holding or you know inappropriate sexual touching they don't know what sexual touching is so it's important to do it in right a way that they understand but it's really just honestly saying like can i hold your hand Mm -hmm. can i give you a hug can i give you a kiss it's in listening to the reply. Yeah. I think that's yeah. important. And listening to the yeah. reply. Don't just jump the gun. Like, listen. And, and then that it's okay to say no. You know, yesterday it was okay to hold my hand, but today it's not. I want to talk about what we think that sexual assault is. Um, I think that it has a very varied um, un- like definition according to whoever you talk to. It's not unanimous across the board. No. I don't think so. Especially once you start looking at laws, that's very oh, triggering yeah. and traumatic. I think that sexual assault is any unwanted sexual contact, but that can be something as simple as rubbing somebody rubbing your arm for, you know, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, tickling. Like those are things that can be fall into the sexual assaults does it mean that anytime anybody rubs your arm when you don't want it it's sexual assault no does it mean anytime somebody tickles you and you don't want it no but it's it's in the it's contextual right and i think i think that's why i wanted to ask because i feel like it kind of swings between like it's rape And, you know, that's like an extreme and it's horrible and it's violent. And yeah, that's under the umbrella of sexual assault. But then, you know, people who are like view that as sexual assault, then look at the other people who are like everything is sexual assault. And it kind of just becomes like a a blanket term for some experiences made you uncomfortable. Um, But like you said, might not be sexual. But Mm -hmm. I think it's important to say that it is up to the person to whom it's happening to Absolutely. that their definition and of what th- sexual is. I think one of the things too within the definition of sexual assault, which is being talked about more but wasn't for a long time, is that you can have sexual assault within a committed relationship. Within, yes. Yeah. Did you know it was like until the 1970s that marital rape in the United States was still legal? Which is crazy. It's crazy town. Sorry, I was just going to add to like mistress grimm's definition of sexual sexual assault and i wouldn't just say like it's any action Mm -hmm. but like for me it's any implication of sex so like Mm. if i'm walking down the street and i get catcalled i wouldn't necessarily say that it was a hundred percent sexual assault but it's sexual harassment it's sexual harassment so it does fall under the umbrella but it's not like uh i wasn't touched but i was harassed Mm-hmm. But then there's the, you know, the cyberbullying or whatever where they come online and be like, mm-hmm. oh, I want to like rape you with a broomstick or stuff like this and can say very triggering, alarming words. Mm-hmm. Things can get like very violently um, 
said that implies some sort of sexual misconduct. A big part of all of this is that there's there's no black and white. And it's really hard to find, you know, things aside from, you know, no means no and rape is rape. Um, I have a really horrible pun. (laughs) I was going to say it was Fifty Shades Shades of of Grey. Yeah, but but it's it's accurate. Um, It's not cut and dry. And one person's definition is different from another person's. And, you know, even like you said, like the legal definitions, it depends on what town you're in, what state you're in, what county you're in. Or like what you were penetrated with and where. Exactly. That's really really ridiculous. Yeah. If you're not, if you didn't have some sort of like heterosexual, like typical sexual assault experience, like it could be considered like completely invalid, which is horrible. Um, I worked for a domestic violence shelter and you know, there are women who have been assaulted by their partners who also happen to be women. And there isn't a lot available in terms of like services for yeah. them. And it becomes the burden of proof in that case, too, because our legal system relies a lot on DNA evidence. And especially in a case of woman versus woman, there isn't the same amount of DNA. But I want to kind of go back to what you're saying about um, sexual assault with committed partners. And I think it's really important to mention that most of sexual, most sexual assaults that happen, happen by someone who, who the victim knows. Absolutely. Um, so a lot of times it can be like an acquaintance or a date, but also like you said, like committed partners and that makes that gray a whole lot. Absolutely. I've, I've had that experience. I had a partner where um, they were constantly, you know, looking for sexual attention that I wasn't interested in. And at one point I finally stood up for myself and I said, if you touch me again, I'm going to consider it rape. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do within a relationship. Right. Because you care about but, that person. Exactly. But yeah, it was, I finally had realized the wait a second. You know, just because I'm in a relationship with this person does not entitle them to full access to my body. But Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's a mindset that we all have to get over. Yeah. And I think especially going back to like teaching younger kids just act like what their body is and, you know, they have the boundaries on their body and own their body. And just, um, you know, teenagers now are dating younger and younger. And I'm not saying that as as an older person, I'm factually it's happening. And um, I think that just because they're kind of being raised now, like in between this sort of discussion about the importance of consent that, you know, they, they imitate adult behaviors and that is just perpetuating a lot of the consent violations. Yes. Um, Especially now that we have like technology that connects us all the time. This is also my soapbox. If no one noticed, (laughs) but just being connected by a technology, I think, and always being able to like reach out to someone. And I think it can really like blur boundaries. I think on a lot of things, but sexual assault and like dating violence is a huge thing. Like, I had an ex who would call me until I would pick up. And if I didn't pick up, then he would start calling my friends until one of them picked up. And most people don't think of that as being abusive. Right. I didn't know it was abusive until well after the fact. Something that I've seen as an EMT, which frustrates the shit out of me, is if you have 
violence between partners, Mm -hmm. that the one who goes off to jail is the one who left marks on the other. Yes. And I think also in the particular case of New Jersey, Mm -hmm. that any, they have a mandatory arrest law. Yes. Which means that if any of the partners have uh, acted violently upon the other that they can get arrested. So if a woman was defending herself mm-hmm. and ended up punching the perpetrator, the victim, I should say, not all women, um, that the victim can be arrested and go yeah. to jail, which is really shitty. Also the verbiage of things, you know, oh, boys will be boys. Ugh. Do you remember how old you were when you were first catcalled? Honestly, I don't know that I ever was. And I, as in retrospect, this is a fucked up line of thought, but I would, I have never been small. I have probably been in plus size clothes since I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And I used to be jealous of the girls who got cat called. Because that meant you, that you were desirable. Right. Yeah. It's really fucked up. I mean, I was in, I went to school and like, the middle of the woods so i don't <laughs> didn't have a lot of opportunities for cat calls um but yeah it's like the same thing like the yeah. girls that would get stared at were like the cute girls i was right. a weird emo punk kid so no one looked at me but. i mean i had the issue with uh, you know as people at home can't see that my chest takes over the whole upper part of my body um but i remember gym class was the most horrifying thing ever because even though i wasn't small you know Oh, you'd see the guys lining up when it was my turn to go run. I remember, I think I was like 13 or 14 and I was in Myrtle Beach and I was walking down to go play mini golf with my mom and my dad. And I got catcalled in Myrtle Beach with my mom and my dad right there. But my dad turned around and started like yelling. (laughs) I really like Wanda Sykes has this like whole skit that she does about like how she wants to like go out on a jog and she wants to like leave her vagina at home. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I get that. Like I want to leave my boobs at home. Like I'm oh not, God, like, I'm not very well endowed, but like, it doesn't matter. There's bumps on my chest and everybody's like boobies. <laughs> <laughs> They're giant sacks of fat. I don't understand the appeal. <laughs> Even as someone who's attracted to men and women, I really, I just don't get the like, why you have to like call it out. Like to people, like random people on the street. So my husband and I are poly. So I'm still involved in the dating scene, even though Mm -hmm. I'm married. And the way guys approach me online, it's just like, what makes you think that any of what you're saying is a good idea and not going to get your ass blocked? Also, just like being in a polyamorous relationship is like people are like, Oh my God. Yeah. That must mean you're like a unicorn. Right. And that you're like totally up for whatever. Like it's just, like, it's like being bisexual or it's like, really? Yeah. You want to oh, yeah. have a threesome? Like if you're into threesomes, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. But like, don't assume that everybody don't who's queer or bi unicorn. or exactly. or pan, like y'all aren't always into threesomes. Exactly. <laughs> I don't, I only have the capacity for one person at a time personally. <laughs> and I don't really like him most of the time. <laughs> I, I have to find, say that when I was working in the kink community, um, my partner at the time found that he he really liked being beat up. And I found I was like, this is fun. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, definitely like 
that that that's where the mistress part came from but yeah like compared to some people i was still totally vanilla but yes i've i've played with the with electric wands and i i don't do well with any of that stuff used on me but if somebody consents to having it used on them i'm good with that no no not at all right because then you get the people that like go so overboard and like while kink is kink and kink is supposed to be consensual right just because you're kind of kinky does that does not mean that you are accepting like totally kinky. Exactly. Like you have different variations and shades. Yes. And I mean, kink doesn't mean I want a dick pic. Yeah, <laughs> so no. <weird. laughs> I feel like online dating too is just a scary place. You know, I do know that there's plenty of men that do respect women, but at the same time, like I wonder if there's like a record that's going on in your head of like be nice, be nice. Okay, she refused. Be an asshole. Whereas, like, the women's record is like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Whereas, like, we all have to be, like, polite and gentle because, like, if we turn you down the wrong fucking way, we're about to get That's murdered. That's how, yeah, yeah. how women yeah. end up fucking murdered. How many people have been, mur- like, people have been murdered after they've said no to someone. Yeah. It's not just, like, straight cis women. It's, there's a huge problem with this happening to trans women. Oh, yeah. And just, Absolutely. like, trans women existing. As like, I, I you know, a room agree. full of like cis white women. Yeah. Yes. No, I 100% agree. And I mean, like no woman is safe, whether you're a cis woman or a trans woman. Like we all have to be very careful because if we turn down the wrong mm-hmm. man, that might be the last day of our life. Well, and I think that absolutely as a woman, you know, or a trans woman, and I think trans men also they have that issue of mm-hmm. getting into a relationship, whether it be with a man or with a woman. And, you know, if the person finds out or figures out before it's disclosed. Um, I've actually given talks about this. Okay. And the trans community, um, dating violence, you know, can be a real issue, um, especially in regards to like respecting that person's pronoun and like mm-hmm. using it against them or their dead name or just like having triggering someone's um, dysmorphia. Um, you know, if someone's uncomfortable with parts of their body um, or certain things happening to their body, mm-hmm. their partner can use that against them. Um, just so horrible to think about. But again, it goes back to this power and control thing mm-hmm. and like. Partners can really hold that sort of stuff over you. And I think in the trans community, it can kind of go under the radar because maybe someone is passing, it doesn't want to come mm-hmm. out, or you just don't want to talk about it. And that's like an embarrassing thing, or you really care about your partner and you don't even know what's happening. Yeah. But yeah, and I think that um, with sexual stuff and talking about sexual assault with committed partners, that I think that sex can is a real source, can be used as a real source of power, unfortunately. Um, And even now they are finding with um, like teenagers today that girls are having their birth control, like controlled by their partner, whether or not they're taking it and what kind they're taking um, as a means of, and I personally think that is a part of sexual assault. Like you're controlling my like reproductive system and controlling whether or not I might or might not be pregnant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And someone who doesn't want to be pregnant, that really, like, gets under my skin. Yeah, There's that whole gaslighting and guilt tripping. Mm-hmm. And, like, because I didn't really realize that I was being gaslit for about seven and a half years. Yeah. Being guilt tripped to feel like you should have had sex or, like, getting guilt tripped into having sex is not okay. 
Well, Graham, it was lovely to have you here. Oh, thank you so much for having um, me. Yes, thank you for coming. It's great to hear about um, all of your different experiences um, because I love and admire you in the <laughs> derby world. And so it's just great to know how much now I love and admire you outside of the derby world. Why, thank you. I also just need friends. So I would like to make more friends, please. <laughs> Having adult friends is so hard. <laughs> Adulting is hard. But like, no, really, it, it was really awesome to hear your experiences. And, you know, like I know a lot of this stuff, but it's different when you hear it from somebody else's mouth and having somebody else verify my thoughts and you know talk about things very openly helps other people to understand it and hopefully this small conversation and dialogue can become a broader dialogue between other people as they listen to us talk about it my butt is so (laughs) thanks for listening to part two of our podcast if you have any questions comments suggestions ideas opinions about anything feel free to reach out to us at fraupowpodcast at gmail.com f-r-a-u-p-o-w podcast at gmail.com or feel free to check us out on instagram or twitter at fraupowpodcast we're very exciting and high tech um so thanks again for listening guys and And don't don't be be a dick. dick